Broadcasting live from the KVXL studios at Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. The Frittle Show with Crystal Heath. I've said that we must be cautious in claiming God is on our side. I think the real question we must answer is, are we on his side? Faith, family, freedom. For me, it's very simple. I think we've got to... We've got to get the country back on the right track with the most inspiring agenda. A voice in the desert. Now, here's Crystal Heath. And hello, everybody. Las Vegas, all peoples everywhere. Thank you for tuning in today. Still sick, but I am powering through. So let's let's hop right in here see what we can do. We'll have Billy Hallowell from Faithwire on at the bottom of the hour. This is the Frittle Show on KVXL 101.1 FM Experience Liberty Radio. All right, we had the Super Bowl. We had the confirmation hearings of Betsy DeVos and Jeff Sessions. And somewhere in that mix, I think the other big news of the weekend has been lost upon us. And I want to get back to that because I wasn't here on uh, on Monday or Tuesday, I don't believe, because of not being able to talk, so it kind of makes radio difficult. But uh, the big news this past weekend was that President Trump imposed new sanctions on Iran as a result of their uh, missile test. And the administration is saying, though, that these sanctions are not just a result of the missile test. Um, And yes, by the way, Iran fired missiles last week in an act of international aggression, if you will. But the administration says that the sanctions are also a punishment for Iran's continued funding of terrorists and terrorist activities. And, you know, I think we hear things like this. We're like, oh, good. We put sanctions on Iran. But how many of us actually know what sanctions are? Like, (laughs) like we talk about them like we understand this. But do we really? I, I think... If we're honest, not all of us understand what's going on. So I want to talk for a little bit today about sanctions, what they are, how they work, and then uh, and then we'll move on. Actually, I have a fairly controversial subject to get to next. So you tuned in for a good one, I think. So what are sanctions? Great question. Let's answer it. This is from U.S. Foreign Policy on About.com. Sanctions are a tool used by countries or international organizations to persuade a particular government or group of governments to change their policy by restricting trade, investment, or other commercial activities. That's it in a nutshell. So it's restrictions on trade, investment, or other commercial activities. For example, sanctions may be applied to countries which develop weapons of mass destruction, violate human rights, or trade unfairly. The extent of the sanction often depends on the severity of the violation. So, here's our types of sanctions. You have trade sanctions. These are the most common and uh, usually the least troublesome, if you will. They can be uh, a revocation of preferential treatment um, or... Uh, or they can, or they can change the import quotas, and uh, against a country not abiding by international rules of trade. Then you have um, economic sanctions, which are punitive in nature, and those are meant to basically isolate the target. Ice, uh, economic sanctions uh, can include trade embargoes, or boycotts, or freezing of assets, uh, bans on cash transfers, bans on technology transfers, restrictions on travel. Um, we've used. Sanctions like this against Cuba, North Korea, Iran, other countries. Um, 
It's the Office of Foreign Assets Control, or OFAC. So if you see the abbreviation, OFAC is imposing sanctions. The Office of Foreign Assets Control of the Treasury Department administers and enforces economic and trade sanctions based on U.S. foreign policy and national security goals. So the, that that's just the basic definition of sanctions. Sanctions are basically saying, okay, you're not playing by the rules. Uh, time out for you. Now, some timeouts can be very long, but it's a matter of affecting their trade status or affecting um, their economic status by freezing their assets in the U.S., banning cash transfers, different things that we can do to basically punish nations that don't behave in a way that we believe is internationally acceptable. Now, with Iran, the interesting thing here is these sanctions came after uh, General Michael Flynn had said that they were putting, or that, that the Trump administration was putting Iran on notice. And that was over at the blaze. Iran defies Trump administration's empty threat, is what they called it, and pledged more missile tests. The Iranian government vowed to vigorously continue its missile activity one day after President Donald Trump's national security advisor, retired Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, put the country on notice. Ali Akbar Velitai, a senior foreign affairs advisor to Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, I can't talk today. Khamenei slammed the White House Thursday for its inexperienced response to Iran's unsuccessful medium-range ballistic missile test, according to NBC News. This is not the first time that an inexperienced person has threatened Iran, Vilati said. Iran is the strongest power in the region and has a lot of political, economic, and military power. America should be careful about making empty threats to Iran. Iran will continue to test its capabilities in ballistic missiles, and Iran will not ask any country for permission in defending itself, he added. What what's ironic about this is that Iran is not defending itself from anyone right now. They are just being aggressive and saying we're going to flex our muscles. But when I look at Iran, what I see is this little it's like a it's like a 13-year-old boy that all of a sudden realizes, "Oh my goodness, I have muscles. Look at this. I can conquer the world." And then dad just comes and like sits on top of him. He's like, "Okay, nope, not not quite." <laughs> Trump, following up on Flynn's Wednesday statements last week, doubled down on Iran in a tweet that said, Iran has been formally put on notice for firing a ballistic missile, should have been thankful for the terrible deal the U.S. made with them. So then uh, then we had these sanctions that were imposed. So basically it went from... Uh, uh, we're going to file a missile. Lieutenant General Michael Flynn was like, no, you're not. And they're like, yes, we are. And then the president of the United States saying, no, you will not or else. We just don't know what the or else is yet. We shall see if it is anything uh, or if it is not anything. So what are the new sanctions? We impose sanctions on Iran. What does that mean? What are they? This is from Fox News. Um the Trump administration imposed new fr- sanctions last Friday on nearly two dozen individuals and companies in response to Iran's recent missile tests, quickly moving to increase the pressure on the regime after putting Tehran on notice earlier this week. So it's two dozen individuals and companies. And basically the thought is that by doing this, that these 24 individuals and companies will be like, uh, hey, Will you stop that? We can't conduct our business. And that these businesses are vital enough to Iran's economy that the Iranian government will be like, okay, yeah, I guess we need to let you guys operate, so we need to stop doing this. 
The U.S. Navy also moved a destroyer into position off the coast of Yemen amid deep concerns over Iran's support for Shiite rebels there who recently attacked a Saudi naval vessel. Iran's continued support for terrorism and development of its ballistic missile program poses a threat to the region, to our partners worldwide, and to the United States, John E. Smith, the Treasury Department's acting sanctions chief, said in a statement. The Treasury Department announced the additional sanction targets 13 individuals and 12 companies late Friday morning. Those targets included various agents, companies, and associates involved in procuring ballistic missile technology for Iran. They named Iranian, Lebanese, Chinese, and American to individuals and companies that are also now blacklisted from doing any business in the United States or with American citizens. So there you have it. Uh, one praise, the move itself, one praise from Republican allies in Congress. Uh, Senate Foreign Relations Committee Chairman Bob Corker, a Republican from Tennessee, said this announcement, this announcement makes clear that it is a new day in U.S.-Iran relations and that we will no longer tolerate Iran's destabilizing behavior. A coordinated, multifaceted effort to push back against a range of illicit Iranian behavior is long overdue. So that's where we're at with the Iran issue. We hadn't talked about it all this week, so I wanted to get to that uh, before moving into our stories of the day. So let's, uh, let's, let's make that transition now. And we'll head back over to the blaze with this headline, Virginia City Votes to Remove Nearly Century-Old Robert E. Lee Statue by Virginia City. I don't mean the one here in Nevada where the Ponderosa does not exist because it was a TV show. I mean a city in the state of Virginia. The city council in Charlottesville, Virginia, has voted to remove a statue of Robert E. Lee that has been standing in Lee Park for 93 years. The Charlottesville City Council voted in a 3-2 vote to do away with the statue memorializing the Confederate general. Following the vote on the statue, city leaders unanimously agreed to scrub Lee's name from the park's title, according to WTVR-TV. It's unclear what will happen to the statue upon its removal from the park. This is not just one way to honor history, particularly at the expense of our neighbors, Councilman Bob Fenwick, a Democrat who supported removing the Lee statue, said. It was Mayor Mike Singer and Councilwoman Kathy Galvin, both Democrats, who voted against removing the equestrian statue of Lee. Both cited concerns about the cost to uproot the display, which the council estimated to be around $300,000. But Democratic Councilwoman Kristen Chagos argued there is another cost worth consideration. She asserted the emotional toll of the statue's presence had already cost residents enough. I believe it is the most cost-effective way to reduce the harm that has happened over nine decades of veneration, she said. Okay. So, um, if the presence of a statue is causing you emotional harm, there may be some other issues in your life that we need to look at. Regardless of who the statue is of, if there is a statue, a statue that is causing you emotional harm, unless like someone or something is worshiping said statue, if it's just a statue and it's causing you emotional harm, um, hmm, perhaps, perhaps there are some other things we should be talking about. But here's, here's my, here's my thoughts on this. All right. And this is you got to stick with me for the whole thing, all right? Don't don't be taking what I'm going to say out of context here, all right? Wait for it. Not every Southerner in the period leading up to and during the Civil War was a slave owner. Not every Southerner believed that slavery was acceptable. And even of those who did and who practiced this, this evil thing, 
My question is this. How do we learn from history if we whitewash it? We can't simply pick and choose which parts of history we will or will not accept. And the simple fact in this matter is that Robert E. Lee, regardless of whether or not you support his politics uh, regarding the Confederate States, was one of the greatest military commanders in the history of the world. And what I'm about to read to you is extremely controversial and to this day renders the debate of whether or not Lee himself was opposed to slavery. Because really that's what this boils down to. Because there is absolutely no reason to remove a statue of one of the greatest military leaders in the history of the world. And I'm not just saying that. Look it up. It it comes down to the issue of slavery here in the United States. Now, Robert E. Lee wrote a letter following a speech given by then-Confederate States President uh, Pierce. No, I'm sorry. It was not a conf- just President Pierce at the time. It was dated December 27, 1856, and it read as follows. Robert Lee wrote, I was much pleased with the president's message. His views of the systematic and progressive efforts of certain people in the North to interfere with and change the domestic institutions of the South are truthfully and faithfully expressed. The consequences of their plans and purposes are also clearly set forth. These people must be aware that their object is both unlawful and foreign to them and to their duty, and that this institution for which they are irresponsible and non-accountable can only be changed by them through the agency of a civil and servile war. There are few, I believe, believe in this enlightened age who will not acknowledge that slavery is an, as an institution is a moral and political evil. It is idle to expatiate on its disadvantages. There are few, I believe, in this enlightened age who will not acknowledge that slavery as an institution is a moral and political evil. I think it is a greater evil to the white than to the colored race. While my feelings are strongly enlisted in behalf of the latter, my sympathies are more deeply engaged for the former. The blacks are immeasurably better off here than in Africa, morally, physically, and socially. The painful discipline they are undergoing is necessary for their further instruction as a race and will prepare them, I hope, for better things. How long their servitude may be necessary is known and ordered by a merciful providence. Again, this is a letter from Robert E. Lee. Their emancipation will sooner result from the mild and melting influences of Christianity than from the storm and tempest of fiery controversy. This influence, though slow, is sure. The doctrines and miracles of our Savior have required nearly 2,000 years to convert, but a small portion of the human race, and even among Christian nations, what gross errors still exist. While we see the course of the final abolition of human slavery is still onward and give it the aid of our prayers, let us leave the progress as well as the results in the hands of him who chooses to work by slow and influences and with whom a thousand years are but as a single day. Although the abolitionist must know this, must know that he has neither the right nor the power of operating except by moral means, that to benefit the slave he must not excite angry feelings in the master, that although he may not approve the mode by which providence accomplishes its purpose, the results will be the same, and that the reason he gives for interference in matters he has no concern with holds good for every kind of interference with our neighbor. Still, I fear he, fear he will persevere in his evil course. Is it not strange... Uh, And then he goes on. That's about where he ends. So in this letter, we see this conflict in Robert E. Lee. He's saying on one hand, everyone knows in this enlightened age that slavery is an institution of both moral and political evil. And then he says, on the other hand, would it not be better rather than 
plunging ourselves into a war which will cost countless lives to let the influence of Christianity end slavery in a peaceful manner. Which, by the way, is, is what William Wilberforce was able to accomplish in England. Now, you can agree or, or, or disagree with his logic and his reasoning there. There's, but you, you have to recognize this, all right? General Lee did own slaves. Was slavery wrong? Yes. It is always wrong, no matter where practiced, or if it's uh, white against black, black against white, black on black, white on white. Regardless, it, it is wrong. Now, did the majority of the southern United States believe a lie when it came to slavery? Yes, they did. They believed it was acceptable. Did the theory of evolution help to propagate that lie? Yes, certainly did. Read Darwin. Darwin believed that the whites were a far superior race to any other. And are millions of Americans today, because it's so easy to look back and say, how could they possibly think that? But are millions of Americans today believing a lie that is killing millions of innocent people? Yes. That lie is called abortion, and someday, a hundred years from now, all of America will look back on our generation in horror and wonder how it was ever humanly possible that our culture embraced such an evil, evil thing. And why do I say that? Because, yes, slavery is an evil. It is a wicked thing. But at that time, it was culturally acceptable in the South. It was wrong. But the culture nevertheless embraced it. This is why the changing whims of society are so dangerous. There has to be something bigger than the changing winds of cultural acceptance that we base our lives and morality on. Because it, it, it's, not, it's not a firm foundation. But this is where General Lee stood on the issue. His belief was that Christianity would eventually abolish slavery by convincing people it was ungodly before a government could ever force it out of existence. Now, we, we know that he ended up being wrong on that fact because the Civil War began, and so we used, we used force to eliminate it. But it's also interesting to note that Lee freed all of the slaves that he owned. Granted, it was part of his father's will that he do so, but he did it nonetheless, and we do not have a record of him attempting to replace the slaves that he inherited from his father after he freed them. So did Robert E. Lee support slavery? I personally believe that he may have at one point in his life. I, I, in fact, I think that's fairly obvious because he owned his father's slaves for several years before he released them. But by the time the Civil War rolled around, he was opposed to slavery, and instead of, of fighting for slavery... Robert E. Lee was fighting for his homeland, not about for the right to own slaves. And I would argue that Lee fought for Virginia, not even for the Confederacy. Because states' rights at this point in history and state loyalty was something that it's very hard for us today to wrap our heads around. Because now we're all about America, we're all Americans. But you know how every Texan you meet is all about Texas? You have, that's how everyone was. At this point in history, when Robert E. Lee lived, Lee was all about Virginia. His family uh, is interwoven into the fabric of Virginia's uh, history. All right? Lee's father was known as uh, Light Horse Harry. He was a cavalry 
cavalry leader during the Revolutionary War. He also served as governor of Virginia. One of his uh, ancestors, I believe, I can't find it right now, was at the Constitutional Convention. The Lee family was Virginia. And Robert E. Lee was fighting, was was rather enlisted in the, in the Virginian uh, forces when Virginia seceded from the Union and joined the Confederate States. And Lee was then transferred to the Confederate Army as a result of having been in Virginia. Lee did not go into this saying, I want to fight for the Confederacy. No, he was... He was, he was, um, I get what could you compare it to today? You compare it to like the National Guard in the state of Virginia, if you will. It's not the same, but that's as close as I can get for right now with the limited time that I have. But Lee was all about Virginia. And if I, if I wasn't like one minute away from having to take a break, I wish I could tell you about his life and about the things he did and about how he was a war hero long before the Civil War ever began. Look it up, PBS and, uh, and History, the History Channel website, I think it's history.org. Look up Robert E. Lee's life on both of these sites. Because even without the Civil War, Robert E. Lee was an incredible soldier and a historic member of our nation's uh, history. And whether or not we agree with what we presume his politics may or may not have been, whether or not we agree with the side that he fought for, and I, I don't understand, nor do I agree with, this expunging of our history and anything that we do not like from it. I mean, would it not be better to see the statue of Robert E. Lee and explain to our children what the Civil War was, who Robert E. Lee was, and that he freed his slaves and believed slavery was soon to be gone in the United States regardless of war because he believed Christian influence would drive it out? Wouldn't that be better than to simply remove the statue and pretend he never existed and to never have that conversation with our children? Because if we don't learn from history, then we're doomed to repeat it. Whenever the children of Israel, so go back to the Old Testament, whenever something uh, historic would happen in their, in their journeys, in their travels, or uh, God would tell them most often to set up, a, set up a monument, set up some rocks right here. Now, did God just want them to take a bunch of rocks and put them in a pile because God thought that stacking rocks together was cool? Maybe, but I kind of doubt it. And you know why I doubt it? Because every time God told him to set up a pile of rocks, he would say, so now when you pass by these rocks, you tell your kids about what happened here. See, monuments were God's idea. So that when you go past them, you can say, look, kids, look, the monuments aren't about us adults. And if we can't handle a monument as an adult, then we're missing the point. Monuments and statues are are supposed to be there so that when we pass them, we could say, look at this guy. Look what he did. Here's how you should be like him. Or look at this guy. Look what he did. Don't be like him. See, we've, we've become so obsessed with this. Well, our kids have to learn from their mistakes. No, they don't. Let them learn from your mistakes. Let them learn from other people's mistakes. Why do we want and expect our kids to fail when we could just teach them based on what other people have already gone through. I, uh, maybe it's just me, but I, I can't tell you how many monuments I've passed that I've gone, I don't know who that person is. I need to look them up. I need to find out what they did. And then I look them up and I'm like, whoa, look what they did. I want to be like them. And that's the point. 
And I guarantee you, if you went throughout this country and looked at all the monuments that we have and dove in depth to the, the life of every single one of those people, you would find something in their life that was wrong and that you disagreed with in their politics or in their personal life and so on and so forth and what have you. Because they are people and people aren't perfect because people are sinners in need of a savior. And that's why Jesus Christ came to this earth to die and take the punishment that we deserve because we are all sinners. We all have done wrong. Not just Robert E. Lee, me, you. We've all done wrong. We all need a savior. And that's, that's what life is all about. It's recognizing that I'm a sinner, that you're a sinner. Robert E. Lee was a sinner. But Jesus came to save sinners. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And if you have never believed on Jesus, if you don't even know what that means, we would love to talk with you about that because you can know for sure that you're going to heaven. You can get saved today. You can deal with that sin in your life. I believe Robert E. Lee is in heaven today. You may not like that I say that, but I believe with all my heart that Robert E. Lee was a Christian based on a variety of his his writings. And I look forward to talking with him someday in heaven. He wasn't perfect, but I think there's a lot that we can learn from Robert E. Lee and everybody that has a statue out there that we disagree with. But anyway, we'd love to talk with you. If you have any questions about anything I just said, you can call us, 702-647-4522, or you can email radio at experienceliberty.com. I have to take a break now because we were supposed to have Billy Hallowell on here about two minutes ago, so I'm sure he's wondering where we are because he has nothing better to do with his day, which is 100% a a complete joke because the man is brilliant and busy. But So I'm going to play Titanium here from the piano, guys, while I get Billy on the phone. We'll be back in just a minute. Don't go away. All right, welcome back. You're listening to KVXL 101.1 FM Experience Liberty Radio here in Las Vegas. And as promised, we have FaithWire.com's Billy Hallowell is back with us. Hey, Billy, how's it going? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm 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 better than I was yesterday, physically speaking. So thanks for asking. <laughs> it's the season. It's the season for colds. It's terrible. I, I'm just getting over one, too, and it lasted like a month. I mean, it's just Oh, crazy. don't even say that. Oh, no. Hopefully you will not you will not be fit for a month. Thanks. Thanks, Billy. Thanks. How about that Super Bowl? Was that kind of fun? I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you the truth. Here's the crazy thing. I watched not a second of it and I usually do watch and, and this year I didn't watch and the reason was because I had a chance to see um to see The Case for Christ, the new film that's coming out and I had to do it within a certain time frame. So I ended up uh-huh. that was the only time that I had and I ended up watching that. Instead, of course, I, I read the I read and I watched clips and, and all that, but I didn't get a chance to watch it. So I think I might be the only American who actually did watch. <laughs> but the Case for Christ, <laughs> I'm assuming this is based on Lee Strobel's book. It is, and you know, it's kind of crazy because the film is his story, so it's kind of like oh, the wow. backstory of the book, huh. um, and it kind of details. It's all about him and his wife and what they went through as he was exploring as an atheist trying to disprove Christianity. And so um, it stars Mike Vogel and Erica Christensen. She mm-hmm. was in Parenthood and, and Swim Fan and a bunch of other things. Um, so they, there's some familiar faces in it, and I really thought it was very, very well done. I think it's going to 
it's not one of those movies that's going to excite you. Like there's not big action scenes, but you mm-hmm. know, it really does break down Christianity and, and really what he went through and trying to disprove it. And then, and then he obviously he ends up becoming a believer. So yeah, I, it comes out in April and I would highly recommend it. Awesome. Yeah. If it's anything like the book, then it should be epic. Cause that is an amazing book. If you've never read Lee Strobel's the case for Christ, you should, you should fix that problem and you can do that very easily. Cause Amazon, you could probably even get a drone to bring it to your house. I mean, the world we live in. It's, it's so drop it good. right over your house. Yeah. The Super Bowl drone. <laughs> hey, there's another Christian movie that just came out. You had an article about this in Faithwire. Well, it's not a Christian. It's a faith-based uh, comedy. Uh, it's called The Resurrection of Gavin Stone. Have you seen that one? I have, yes. I, I just saw that one a couple weeks ago. And it was funny. I mean, it was genuinely funny. I think you know, it's really a struggle for a lot of these filmmakers because they really want to make a good movies and there's different types of christian movies there's the christian films that are preaching to the choir and Mm -hmm. like like god's not dead um, and like war room and then there's christian films that the goal is to tell a really good story not that the others don't but tell a good story and reach beyond that audience to try to reach non-believers so it's tough and i think gavin stone though it, it was a good example of a comedy which christians really have not tried it's usually sort of a drama some sort of thing to try to bring the message out. And, you know, we've had a few movies, Mom's Night Out, Gavin Stone, that are trying to do this. And I really admire it, and I think it's difficult. I thought that movie was also very good and and totally worth checking out. If people haven't had a chance to to do so, I would highly recommend it. Um, Very funny movie and genuinely funny and safe for the family to watch. Yeah, I have not seen it yet. It's on my list of uh, when you watch movies, watch this one uh, because I don't get to watch. <laughs> I don't get to watch as much as I would probably, as my flesh, if we shall, would like to watch. I could watch movies all all every day, but I don't. But this is on my list to watch, and they've got some good people in this one. And I saw the previews for it, and I was like, huh, this looks like a good one. And like you said, not that, uh, not anything against, uh, you know, like God's Not Dead, War Room. Those are excellent movies, but like you said, they're really targeted to a Christian audience. And if you're, not that they can't reach beyond that, but I think most of the people that will appreciate them is is pretty well niche group within Christianity. Whereas ones like Mom's Night Out, which was hilarious. Patricia Heaton did a great job in that. And uh, who the, who else? Do they have Trace Atkins in that one? Yes, yeah, Trace Atkins and and the girl um, Sarah. I'm forgetting. Her yeah, name, I can't remember her name Anatomy. either. Yeah, and then they, they but they've done the same thing with Gavin Stone. They got like they got some it, good yeah. big names. They got uh, Ward from Agents of Shield is in this movie. I mean, that, for that reason alone, <laughs> you should watch it, right? Well, you know, and and I think Mom's Night that was a great film. It got what, what's always crazy, and actually, I cover this in a book that I'm releasing next month, which I'm really excited about, called Fault Lines. You know, I'm, I talk about this whole Hollywood, the way that Hollywood treats Christian movies, um, and, and a lot of it is just ignorance and not understanding. But one of the areas that I find fascinating is the reviewers, the people who review mm. the movies. If you look back to Mom's Night Out, when that film came out, again, I actually thought it was hilarious. I loved that movie. I thought it was funny. Yeah. Um, the reviewers were insane. They were they were calling that movie um, anti-feminist, anti-woman. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were things coming out about that film that I just thought were so unhinged from the reality of the film and to me sort of showed that this is going to be an uphill battle for people in Hollywood because they want to bring films out that Christian audiences will like, but in doing that, you actually end up 
um, in, in sort of this weird scenario where you're presenting a message that reviewers don't even understand. They don't know what it's like to have communities of, of mothers who homeschool or keep their kids at home. And, sure. You know, they're just not exposed to it. So I found that really interesting and in kind of covering a lot of these is just seeing the disparity of an audience that loves a movie and then you see the reviewers giving it like a 10% favorability rating, right? So... <laughs> It's yeah, crazy, but. but it is exciting. I love that we are we are seeing more movies like this, and hopefully they'll they'll be successful, and we'll keep having more of them. And I'm I'm looking forward to watching Resurrection of Gavin Stone. Um, okay, let's uh, let's shift gears because I love you're one of my favorite people to follow on Twitter because when the whole world starts freaking out about something, you're you're the person on Twitter that's like. Okay, hi everyone. Let's all take a deep breath and think about what we're saying before we actually say it. And it's just, it's fantastic because every time everyone starts freaking out, I just go, I type in at Billy Hallowell and I'm like, ah, yes. Thank you so much for being a voice of calm and reason in the storm on social media right now. But, uh, so latest well, example, you. latest example, uh, Betsy DeVos gets confirmed and the whole world loses its mind. So, Oh. Uh, mainly, mainly those on the left, but also some on the right. And uh, so, can you can you bring some of your calm to this storm? Tell us what we actually should know about Betsy DeVos. Why she's a good pick? Why people might be concerned? That that sort sure, of thing. Yeah. yeah. I, look, I think this is one of those things where, like, the truth is kind of in the middle, and like both sides mm-hmm. are making very good points. And if people just calm down, I mean, if you didn't know if an alien came to Earth and they didn't know who Betsy DeVos was, and they read social media, they would assume that this is some evil woman sneaking into public schools to pour lead into the water supply. I mean, yes, the way literally treated is uh-huh. crazy. I mean, it's crazy. Now, look, she she doesn't have, and, and this is probably part of the problem, and I'm married to a teacher, so I've talked a lot to my wife and you know about this and, you know, and, and others in my family who are teachers. You know, she doesn't have a lot of public school experience. Right, and, and that is that a is legitimate that, concern. Totally. And I think that's totally. something that we miss a lot is that we if it's our guy, then we will defend whatever they do to the hill and refuse to recognize what could be and is a legitimate concern. Absolutely. And I think no matter where people stand in education, and it's very complicated, you have the unions, you have it's super complicated. Mm-hmm. There is a legitimate argument to say, OK, great. We have all these charter schools and we have all of these other people out there trying to do innovative things, which is great. But what are we really going to do to fix what's going on in the public schools? You know, mm-hmm. is the only solution dismantling that system? And I would say no. I, I know a lot of conservatives, and, and I am one, you know, want to kind of see the public school system flipped on its head. But I think we sometimes overlook the fact that you have some really severe family problems going on in a lot of inner cities. You have issues going on outside of the school that – you can flip the schools all you want, and you can make everything a charter school, but it's not going to really fix the broader issues that make schools sometimes not the best places. A lot of it's happening outside of the classroom, sure. I guess that's what I'm saying. We like to assume it's all happening in the classroom, but a lot of those struggles come in, and they impact how kids learn. So, you know, I do think there's a legitimate argument to say that whoever this person is who's going to be, and obviously it's going to be Betsy DeVos, should really understand the public school system well. Now... On the flip side, she has a lot of experience in charter schools and a lot of experience with school choice, and that's a very positive thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would argue, I keep hearing people say, she's totally unqualified. She can't do this job. I don't think that's the case. I would say, here's what I would say. If Betsy DeVos comes in and doesn't listen to public school teachers at all and doesn't rely on what they tell her, I would say, yeah, then she's unqualified. If she comes in and she says, 
this is where my expertise is, but I'm going to actually have a panel of people who are public school teachers and in a variety of teachers, private, public, and I'm going to listen to their concerns and I'm going to rely on what they're telling me on the ground. Well, then I would say she's perfectly qualified. So I think, in my view, we kind of need to calm down and give this woman a chance yeah. to actually do her job. And, 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 you know, she's a competent person who's a billionaire and doesn't need this job. She's mm-hmm. doing it because she cares about kids, and I do, and I do believe that. So that's yeah. my rant. About I do too. Well. No, and I, I think that's very well said, and that's why I wanted to ask you uh, about it because it, it just, I just shake my head some days. It's when I'm watching people just go nuts. I'm like, well, just recognize that both sides have something to say. That there is probably truth on both sides, and then, and then come to a logical calm conclusion because i mean quite honestly i I, i've never met betsy devos but i'm pretty sure she's not going to walk into public schools and start pouring lead into the water or anything like that or painting (laughs) the walls with lead paint like i just don't think the woman is out to kill all of our children i really don't so maybe we should give her a chance yeah and i think you know look i understand the concerns here's the concerns are fine chaos and insanity are not Mm -hmm. you know and that's the you know, I think it's fine. If people wanted to protest her, they felt she wasn't qualified. Fine. You know, yeah. if that's done respectfully, I, I sure. don't. I don't really care. I do. Th- I do think some of the crit- some of the critiques are okay, and others are not accurate. So mm-hmm. let's have a middle ground approach to this, and let's figure out. Let's give this woman a chance. If her only solution is dismantling the public school, it's just not going to work because you know the, the reality is there are some really good public schools and there are some really sure. terrible public schools. So. Yeah. Let's try to figure out how to fix the ones that are struggling and figure out what's really making them struggle. And I don't think it's just bad teachers. I think that's a lazy way to – are there bad teachers? Of course. But mm-hmm. that is not – that's not the real – I mean, there are some real deep issues. You go to the South Bronx. You go to some other places in this country, and it's not the school that's the problem. It's really the mm-hmm. community, what's going on in the community. So – Anyway, not to be redundant on that. I just think it's important we understand that. No, you're you're exactly right. And I think, you know, let's let's see what she does. Let's see if she can be successful. And as Americans, this is the part that always gets me with Trump, Obama, whoever it is. Now, granted, with Obama, obviously, we didn't want him to be successful in some of his things like Obamacare because we could see where that was going to go. But overall, especially when it comes to the education of our children, if her goal is to improve education in america then we should all (laughs) want that to work out for her like we should want that right exactly we're so partisan i mean this country has become so partisan and i think really after eight years and this is really a problem for i think younger millennials because they've never had somebody in office they disagreed with right they Mm -hmm. were young when obama came in and now here they are faced with and let's face it, somebody who take, who takes the rhetoric to another level, I think, and they're not used to that. They, a, they don't want a Republican. B, they don't want somebody who's sort of in their face. And so I think this is hard for them to embrace. But look, let's be rational and calm down. And I, I think it's like what we're seeing is an epic freakout on every level. And it doesn't matter you know, whether it's legitimate or not. They're just going to find something to complain about. And I think we need to give people a chance. Yeah, look, again, the travel ban, if you want to have that debate, have it. I think there are legitimate things for people to debate, but Mm -hmm. we also need to be Americans to support, I think, our our government and hope for the best, and I'm not seeing that with everybody. Right, right, exactly. Okay, so I always, I I like to end with you on a story that people probably haven't seen anywhere unless they've been to faithwire.com, but that makes me go, oh, that's really neat. So I'm just going to read the headline that you wrote, and then you tell us about this, because the headline itself is just like, wait, what? So here's the headline. Bible study group saves woman from attempted kidnapping by masked 
men. Here are the details. So you fill in the details. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing, and I shouldn't be. It's terrible. No, I'm laughing because it's just a bizarre story. This Bible study group was meeting, and this woman was leaving. She went to get into her car. She was part of the Bible study group. And these two men um, show up with masks on and try to pull, pull her into the back seat of her car and take her. And so, of course, she starts screaming and kicking, and if she does the right thing, she realizes she has a very small window to, to be saved and, and starts freaking out. And these guys end up running because the Bible study group hears her screaming, and they come out um, mm. to try to save her. And so they basically save this woman, thank God, from being forced into the car and taken away. And uh, yeah, just it was just one of those really weird stories. And as far as I know— the cops still haven't found the, the two culprits, and they're still mm. investigating the case. But, but there you go. Yeah, that's that's just nuts. But that's one of the things I love about Faithwire because you guys cover all the big stories, and you do it from a from a, uh, a Christian perspective, if you will. And we can, we we talked more about that a couple of shows ago, so I won't get into all that again. But you also hit on these stories that you just don't find other places, and I really like that. That's sort of our goal, you know, and we want to make sure, like right now, if you were to go to the site, you see we've got, we've got um, a story about the new, the new CNN season that's coming up on the Finding Jesus show, mm-hmm. um, which is really interesting where they kind of dive into debate over, you know, different relics and, and all that. And then we got, a, we got a story about this guy in Russia who made an entire church out of snow and ice um, because the, the town he lives in has no church. That's and amazing. so for at least the time being, they could have, you know, a, a church and... Then we got Chuck Norris going to Israel. So, oh yeah, um, there's a lot of different. Bibi Netanyahu's right tweet about him getting to Israel was epic. <laughs> what is it? It's it was hilarious. something like Israel is strong and stronger now. Welcome Chuck Norris or something like that. <laughs> I laughed. Exactly. I was like, this and is there's perfect. Video of them. Yeah, which is great talking and meeting. Which uh, you know, so there's there's so much cool stuff out there, and, and there's a lot of tragic stuff out there too, and. You know, yeah. and we try to cover all of it and really give people something that will uplift them, but but also let them know what's going on in the world. Yeah, that's what uh, one of the questions I always get asked whenever people ask about the show or pretty much anything they, that they ask me is, "Where do you get your news?" And I'm like, Drudge, Fox, and Faithwire. That's it. You don't even I need anything it. beyond that. So, um, thanks, Billy. Love, <laughs> love having it. you here. Everybody, Thank go you. check out faithwire.com. Seriously, the stories are awesome, and it's so well put together. I love your website. It looks so sharp. So, we will get you back here next week. We'll figure out. One of these times, we're going to have a consistent day that Billy will be here. Now is we not are. that time. <laughs> It's been my fault. It's been my fault. We no, it's all know. good. It's all good. I'm just busted on you. All right, thanks, Billy. I got to let you go because I have to. I have to read. I have to read an announcement about our sponsor now. So I'm gonna. I'm gonna thanks let you lot. go. Thanks for having me. All right, thanks, Billy. Oh, and he's on Twitter at Billy Hollowell. All right, I want to tell you about Mario Giannini State Farm Insurance. They're one of our sponsors here at KVXL. They offer all types of insurance, including but not limited to auto, home, and life insurance. If you have something that can or should be insured. They can help you out. And if you mention KVXL when you call Mario Giannini State Farm for a no-obligation insurance quote, they're going to donate $10 to Experience Liberty Radio. You can reach Mario's team at 702-982-3300, and we'd like to thank them for their faithful support of our weekly programming. And thank you for listening. Thanks to those of you over on the405media.com for being here. We appreciate having you with us. You can pick up past episodes of the show on SoundCloud or iTunes. Just search The Frittle Show, and it will take you right to it. You can even subscribe on iTunes, and new episodes will come to your phone without you even having to do anything. It's so brilliant. 
Or you can just listen live on KVXL101.com or on 101.1 FM here in Las Vegas. We're on 7 a.m., 6 p.m., Monday through Friday. Thanks for being here. We're going to end the day with... Oh, let's do this one. It's kind of Christmassy, but I really like it. So we're going to play it anyway. It's Phillips, Craig, and Dean with God Bless Us.